you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. All right. So if you guys are here uh, for the first time, you're joining us for the first time, if you missed last week, um, just to kind of catch you up to speed, we, we kicked off a brand new series called Why Community Groups last week. That's the series we're in, Why uh, Community Groups. And last week, we talked about the fact that every single one of us, we were created with a God-given core need for relationship. Every one of us, a relationship, number one, with God, but then also a relationship with each other. Um, and we talked about how the best way to develop, uh, maintain, but then also su- to sustain these types of relationships, which, by the way, aren't like mere casual acquaintances or superficial relationships. Uh, I'm talking about deep, raw, intimate, uh, meaningful relationships it is in the context of small groups, which we're calling community groups. And that's what we hit on last week. Um, By the way, quick side note, again, we've been announcing this a lot, announced it a a little while ago uh, for anybody that maybe wasn't here for the announcements. Um, If you've not signed up for the community groups, uh, this is going to be launching in just over three weeks, the week after Easter Sunday. It's coming up quick. Uh, You will have the opportunity to sign up for those if you haven't done so already. Um, Over here, we've got a table with sign-up sheets and also at the other door. So regardless of the exit that you leave from, uh, you can sign up sign up. Also, people will be manning those booths. You can ask them questions. I'd love to talk with you as well. So a little side note there. I'll remind you about that afterwards too. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about the fact that this isn't some kind of like a new trend. Um, This isn't a new fad or a new trend. Uh, We're not trying to like copy some church over here or, you know, some cool idea or something, Uh, not trying to reinvent the wheel. What we're going to find today as we dive into the text is that community groups get us back to our roots as a church. That's our big idea. Community groups get us back to our roots as a church. Why is that? Why is that? That's because, guys, when we launch community groups, what we need to understand is we will be living out uh, the most biblical, uh, the most traditional, and yes, I did say the most traditional, and the most effective model for church that has ever existed. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to to be a part of your family, to gather here today, to hear this message, this gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption, the fact that we get the opportunity to respond to this message, for salvation, to be a part of your family. I pray first and foremost for anybody that has never responded to that gospel message, I pray that you would open their eyes and their hearts, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just move in their lives. And and I pray also that you would move in our lives, even for us as as followers of, of Christ that have already responded to that gospel message. I pray that you would change us, that you would work in us and through us and mold us more and more into the image of Jesus. Use us to impact this community around us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take over this, this sermon, this time that we have together. I pray that they wouldn't just be words that just kind of fall off of our shoulders and go in one ear out the other. I pray that you would use them to impact us, change us. I pray that you would help us to understand your model for church, your heart for us, your, your desire for us as, as your people. And also the way that we can actually practically live out the gospel and be mission-minded people. Jesus, I thank you so much. We praise you. We worship you, and I pray all of this in your name. Amen. 
Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bible or if you've got your smartphone, um, either way you can turn or click, uh, get to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be out today, Acts 2. And as you're turning to Acts 2, something that we need to understand before we dive into this text is that we're going to be stepping into the middle of a story where Jesus has, has just a few weeks ago ascended into heaven. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on in the context of the situation. Jesus ascended to heaven a few weeks ago. Before he ascended to heaven, um, one of the things he told his disciples was, hey, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't, don't leave Jerusalem, okay? And so what we see, a few, this is a few weeks later, fast forward a few weeks later, um, they're sitting in the upper room. All right, in Jerusalem, sitting in the upper room, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, these are uh, the first disciples, the first followers of Jesus. And I'm not talking about the 11. Remember, the 12 are now 11 because Judas, Judas is gone, right? He hung himself after he betrayed Jesus. So it's the 11. But there's more than that in the upper room. The text tells us there's 120 people, disciples of Jesus, that are gathered in the upper room, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Right, And so this is the day of Pentecost. They're waiting, and what happens is the Holy Spirit comes on them and empowers them. And when this happened, um, something incredible happens. The apostle Peter gets up, and he starts boldly declaring, like loudly shouting the gospel message, like preaching to these people. And thousands of them are gathered there. Now, now first off, what we need to understand, we need to rewind time for a minute, and remember that the apostle Peter, not long from this point, this is the guy that denied knowing Jesus. Like three times he denied knowing Jesus. And he did it to a little girl. Like he, he was so scared that somebody would find out that he was a follower of Jesus, right? While, while Jesus, this whole persecution bit was going on, that he denied knowing him to a little girl three times. And now this dude is getting up boldly shouting, declaring the gospel message for thousands of people to hear in the area that Jesus was crucified in not that long ago, okay? So this is the power of the Holy Spirit working through Peter, right? And so thousands of people are there. Why are there thousands of people there? You ever wonder that? It's like, what's up with that? There just happen to be thousands of people gathered around. Like, what's up with that? Well, the reason, again, is because it's Pentecost. Um, Pentecost is a very uh, a well-known festival at that point in time. And so, um, and even to this day, I mean, people know about Pentecost. And so people would travel from all over the place. It's not just the people in that area. It's Jews from all over that would come and gather together. That's why you have thousands of people there. And so when Peter is shouting this, thousands of people are hearing. When he gets done essentially preaching to them and telling them the gospel, Tons of these people, thousands of them are convicted by the gospel message. And they ask, what do we do? What now? What do we do? In other words, how do we respond? What do we do with this message that you've told us? To which Peter replies, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so first off, notice in that text it says, repent and be baptized. That's what he says, repent and be baptized. That's what you do for this response, right? And so if you've ever wondered, just a little side note, if you ever wondered, why does that guy not ask people to raise his hand or pray a prayer after me? And there's nothing wrong with that when people do it. But listen to me, that's the reason. That's the reason, talking about repenting and baptizing. Listen, that's what the apostles did. That's what the apostles did. And that's what the early church fathers, the first uh, Christian leaders did, right? But more importantly, this is the most biblical model 
for responding to the gospel, for responding to this message of Jesus for salvation. We're told to repent and be baptized. And guess what these guys did? After they heard this gospel message, Peter declares the message. They ask, what do we do? He tells them, repent and be baptized. Guess what they did? That same day, they repented and they were baptized. The same day. They didn't wait. They didn't procrastinate or or make excuses or or argue. They repented and they were baptized. Check it out. This is uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized. That day, about 3,000 people were added to them. So again, don't miss those words, that day. That day, they, were, they repented and they were baptized. They didn't wait. They didn't make excuses. They didn't argue. They repented and they were baptized. And it says 3,000 people. Like, like, just imagine that for just a second. Let that sink in. Don't just skim past this. 3,000 people that day were saved. And then check out what, what happened. Uh, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, Catch this, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Guys, listen to me. This is the the practical model for church that the first church used. The first church used. Like, and not only that, listen to me, this is the most effective model for church that we have. We can learn so much from this text that we just read. So much. Uh, One of our goals as followers of Christ, as Christians, should be to get back to this biblical model for church as close as we possibly can back to this biblical model for church. And my goal, listen to me, my goal as your pastor is to help us move in that direction. But here's the thing. We can't do that until we first understand this biblical model for church, right? And how practically they did this. What did they do? And so the first question becomes, well, okay, well, let's, let's kind of dive into this. What practically did they do, right? Let's flesh this out. What was the first thing they did? And, and so what I want to ask you is, what is the first thing that they did? How did they respond when they heard the gospel message? That's the first thing they did. How do we respond? And what, were, what did Peter say? He said two things. He said, repent and be baptized. That's the first thing that they did. They preached the gospel, repent and be baptized. And that's what they did. They repented and they were baptized. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. What, it, what does that mean? That's great. Repent, be baptized. But, but what does that mean? Repentance. And we talk about this all the time, what this means, repentance and baptism. Repentance, listen to me, it's turning away from sin, turning away from anything we've put on this pedestal in the place of God, in the place of Jesus. Sometimes we call them a makeshift functional saviors, turning away from those things, away from sin, and turning to Jesus. It's this feeling of remorse, of, of sorrow for sin, turning to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you have died on the cross to pay for my sin. I know you're your only way to salvation. And so, Jesus, I am surrendering my life over to you as Lord, as Savior, and ultimately as God of my life. 
Not in perfection, just knowing that you will meet me where I'm at because I am a sinner. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Jesus, please save me. That's it. That's repentance. Okay, and so then the question becomes, well, what is what's baptism? Well, baptism is this outward symbol of an internal transformation. See, people, they were, they were fully submersed under the water. That's what the apostle did. They fully submersed people underwater. Even Jesus was fully submersed under the water. But again, there's no power in the water. It's the, the power is in the symbol, all right? The transformation has already taken place. At repentance, Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and, and renews you. You are saved at that point. But it's an outward symbol of what Jesus has done in your life, a public declaration that I belong to Jesus. And something I've said just to kind of help us wrap our heads around this, just to kind of give us a picture of what this looks like. So if you think about a wedding ceremony, I think most of us, if you've been married, hopefully you've been to a wedding ceremony, right? Um, If you haven't, you've probably been to one or two before. If you think about a wedding ceremony, the repentance bit is almost like our vows to Jesus, where we are saying our vows to Jesus. Jesus, I am all yours. Everything I have, everything I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Like everything I am. I'm all yours, Jesus, from now until forever. But then the baptism part, if if the the vows or the repentance, what's the baptism part? Well, the baptism part is like the ring. And I kind of need the the cone of shame today because I actually took my ring off and I was putting this hair gel in my hair and I left my ring. So I've got a car little ring thing. So this is going to be the ring, okay? Baptism is like the ring, all right? It's the outward a display that we belong to Jesus, where we are telling the world, I have been changed by Jesus, I've been saved by Jesus. And again, both of these are commands. So that's the first two responses. That's what they did, right? And so, so the question after that is like, well, what did they do next? What did they do next? I'm glad you asked. Check this out. This is Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to read this again, but just the first part, just the first few words, okay? The, uh, verse 42, that says, they devoted themselves to they devoted themselves to so I want you to pause there and I want you to let that sink in and really think about those words they devoted themselves think about that for a second that word devoted um few practical words just to kind of help us flesh this out and what that means devoted practically means loyal it means faithful constant steadfast dedicated so in other words, there were, there were a few things, and we're going to get to what those things were, but there were a few things that these people were intentional about, that they were, they were dedicated and disciplined in. And the other thing is they were consistent with. They did these things consistently. They didn't do them for like a check in the box. They didn't do it to make themselves feel better or, or look better. They did these things because they, they were passionate about it. They were passionate about it. And so, so what are the things that they did? What, what practically are the things that they did? What's so cool about this text is that we don't have to sit here and ask ourselves, what did the first church do? Like, man, they, 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 people were getting saved all the time. Every day the Lord was adding to their number. The gospel spread like wildfire, not just there, and, and ultimately all over Jerusalem too, as you read in Acts. I mean, it was all over Jerusalem and all over the place. I mean, Paul took it and it spread like wildfire. And so we don't need to scratch our head wondering, how did they do that? What do they do? I don't know. I wish we knew. Guys, listen to me. Because of this text, we have a front row seat into this first church, this New Testament church, to see exactly what it is they did 
on a consistent basis what it was that they were devoted to. So let's check this out together. We're going to kind of flesh this out. And we're going to go through the things that we see in this text that we just read that they did, that they were devoted to on a consistent basis. The first one is the apostles' teaching. That's what we see in this text, the apostles' teaching. So you might be wondering, well, all right, what's the apostles' teaching? So if that's your question, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Don't you love it when people do that? Answer your question with a question. Um, who wrote the New Testament? Yes, no? The apostles. The apostles wrote the New Testament, right? So that's the apostles teaching the New Testament. What did, what did they reference? What did the apostles reference in the New Testament? Time and time and time again. Other than obviously the words and teachings, actions of Jesus, of course. But other than that, what else did they reference? Time and time and time again. The Old Testament. Thank you. Yes, it's the Word of God. That's the apostles' teaching, the Word of God. Listen, these guys were rooted in the Word. They were rooted in the Word. They were in it on a consistent basis, individually, and with their, their families and their, their kids, their spouse, but then also collectively as a body of Christ. And something that we talk about a lot here, and this is so key, this is so important, it is the central theme to the Bible. The overarching theme to this book we call the Bible is the gospel message. The gospel message of Jesus Christ. It can be described in four words, Jesus in my place. Right? And, and so these guys, they were rooted in the word. They were, they were gospel-centered. Right? And, and this is a call to us to also be rooted in the word on a consistent basis, individually, with our families, but then also with each other in the context of a church body than also to be gospel-centered, looking for the gospel in everything that we read in the word because it all points to the gospel, but then also living out the gospel. How? By applying the word of God to our everyday lives, which is what they did. It's what they did. And that's why there was so much transformation. That's why these guys were on fire for, for the gospel and the gospel spread like wildfire. And something else that they were devoted to, the word tells us, is the fellowship. The fellowship. So what's the fellowship? Practically, in a nutshell, the fellowship is just the fact that they did life together, man. They did life together. And so we're not just talking about getting into the Word together, which that's what we just talked about, the apostles' teaching. They got into the Word together on a consistent basis. They were gospel-centered. They reminded themselves of the gospel. But this is also that they dove into each other's lives, not just the Word, but into each other's lives. Okay, they, they took interest in each other's lives. They met together on a consistent basis. How are you doing? How is your family doing? How's, how's work doing? And hobbies and interests. And, you know, I, I know you were talking about that struggle, right, a couple of days ago. How's that going or that work issue? And they talked about this. How can I pray for you? They did accountability together, right? Uh, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Guys, they did this. They lived that out on a consistent basis basis. In the good times, they celebrated those good times together. In the bad times, they mourned together. They locked arms and they did life together on a consistent basis. Something else this text tells us that they did together was the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. And when we see those words, the breaking of bread, typically when you see those words, you kind of at least for me, I start thinking about communion. That's kind of where my mind goes. Like, oh, they're talking about, they're talking about communion, right? And yes, that is true, but that's only half of it. That's only partially true. They did communion, but there's something else that they did 
on a consistent basis, they, they shared a meal together. And it was actually called the love feast. That's what they call it. I think that, that word's so cool. That name is so cool, the love feast. And so they would break bread, meaning they would have a meal together. If you ever wonder, like, why sometimes you churches have meals together, and even like these small groups and stuff, you have snacks, refreshments, you have meals, because that's what they did. But not only them, who else had meals? A lot, a ton in the Gospels. Who else? Maybe somebody named Jesus? Je- listen to me. Jesus loved to eat. Okay, that is no mystery. Jesus loved to eat. We are going to have feasts in heaven. Okay, we're even told that. All right, Jesus loved to eat. I'm convinced if he were here today, he'd be sharing meals with us. We'd be at coffee shops. There is something incredible that happens. Jesus did it. They did it. Even in the secular world, they know something amazing happens when we share meals together or we share a cup of coffee. Something amazing happens. That's what they did. And so they dove into the word, they had a fellowship that they were able to do this partly while they were meeting or while they were eating. Not just when they were eating, but that's a, a big thing that would help break the ice and talk about the word, talk about the gospel, but talk about life. So they would do that again, this love feast, the, the meal on a consistent basis. But the other thing is communion. Communion. So they would take communion on a consistent basis together. And when they did this, hear me, when they did this, this was intimate. Like it, was, it was deep, it was intimate. They took it seriously, very, very seriously, all right? And, and just like we do today, this is what they did and we do today, when we take communion, we are remembering what Jesus has done for us on the cross in our place. We are remembering the fact that, that we were once dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, and we are only saved by the scandalous grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only through Jesus. And they would remind themselves of this consistently all the time. And they would talk about it. It was very intimate. And because they did this on a consistent basis, taking communion, reminding themselves of these things. Listen to me. It also renewed their sense of love and passion for Jesus, for each other, and for his mission to spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ to as many as possible. It renewed that passion and that love on a consistent basis. Why? Because they were reminding themselves of these things and meeting together, talking about it on a consistent basis. And something else that they were devoted to is prayer. Prayer. And again, just like communion, this was, this was a very serious thing for them. These people knew the power of prayer, and they took it serious. All the time they were praying. Uh, Individually they were praying. They were praying with their families, with their spouses, but then also in their churches consistently. And listen, that's why these people weren't stagnant. Hear me. That is why they weren't stagnant. There was transformation in their lives. There was transformation in their families. There was transformation in their churches and in their communities. The gospel was spreading like wildfire. Why? Because they were praying for it on a consistent basis, individually, with their spouses, with their kids, in the context of church, constantly praying for it. And so they saw, they saw this transformation as God was answering these prayers, and they were living out the gospel together in the context of relationship. And they held all things in common, is something else the text tells us. They held all things in common. So, so don't, don't miss this part when it says they held all things in common. So what does that mean, practically? Because that means that they were, they were united. There was unity between these people, all right? And, 
And they, they were one body of believers with one mindset, one heartbeat, one mission to live for Christ, to grow in Christ, and to spread the gospel message of Christ. That was their mission. That was the heartbeat. That was their mindset. And they were united in this. And it's not like they, they were perfect. They had everything together. They didn't have struggles or bickering, whatever. It's not like they didn't struggle with those things, okay? They're, they were people, just like you and me. They had, they had issues. They had struggles. They struggled with sin and whatever else. And, you know, well, different things that would maybe get on their nerves or whatever. They struggled with these things. But hear me, the difference in these people and so many of us today isn't the fact that they didn't struggle as much. It's the fact that their relationship with Christ, the relationship with each other, and the mission of Christ was more important than anything else. And because it was more important than anything else, it overshadowed everything else. They didn't lose focus. Even through the struggles, through the hardship, no matter what, they did not lose focus. And there was unity because of it. And because they did life together, they broke bread together, they prayed together, they, they were unified. But the text also tells us that they cared for each other's needs. They cared for each other's needs. Meaning they gave sacrificially to help each other, poured into each other, met each other's needs. But not just in the context of the church, also the people outside of the church. So why did they do that? Why were they so um, uh, just passionate about caring for each other's needs and giving sacrificially? For one, it's a command from Jesus to love each other, love one another. And he's talking about being sacrificial and that loving each other sacrificially, the new command. But the other thing, because listen to me, they were so consumed in love. They were so consumed with love that they couldn't help it. They couldn't help it. They didn't do this out of obligation. Listen to me, they wanted to. They wanted to give sacrificially to help each other, to meet each other's needs, but then also to meet the, the needs of the people around them. And then catch this, check this out. Every day, don't miss those words, every day they met in the temple and, I'm gonna say that again, and, just in case we missed it, and in houses. Every day. Guys, don't miss the and there. In the temple, and in the house. So temple, that's this like larger kind of worship group, almost like a uh, local larger church gathering, what we're doing right now, okay? That's the temple, all right? Or temple courts um, is what it's called too in some translations, the temple model, right? And it doesn't say they met in temple, so larger group gatherings, kind of like what we're doing right now, or in houses, right? No, 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 it, it says and in houses. And listen, don't miss this. They did this every day. Not, hey, I'm going to meet in the temple, larger group setting uh, today, and I'm going to go to the house tomorrow. They did both every single day. And if you think I'm exaggerating, check out verse uh, 46 again. Every day, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and, there's our word, broke bread from house to house. If you still need more proof, check out a different, uh, a different chapter here. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Every day. And the temple, and there's our word, in various homes, they continue teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Every single day, they did both. By the way, in some, some translations, when it says the word temple here, 
some train, like the NIV, for example, it says temple courts. And the reason that's significant, it says temple courts mean plural, right? So obviously they couldn't meet in the temple. I think most of us maybe understand that if you don't know that, they couldn't go in the temple. They wouldn't be allowed to go in the temple, right? Only the priests, only specific people could go in the temple, all right? So they couldn't go in the temple. It was in the courts, all right? And there were multiple courts around it. And so these courts are kind of a little bit bigger so that you have uh, enough room for several people. So even in the context of the first church, what we see, we get this picture of several different larger uh, church, local church bodies, kind of like what we're doing right now, larger church bodies, several of them meeting. Several of them, just like we have several larger local church bodies. So right now, this is a, uh, several people meeting together on a Sunday morning, and there's different churches around. Guys, that's the same kind of thing that they did even in the first church. We get that same kind of picture. But here's the thing. Again, they did both the temple, larger group meeting, and in the houses every single day, both of them. But when, we're, when we launch community groups, I want you to understand something. We're not asking you, I'm not asking you to get plugged into a group every single day of the week, all right? Multiple different groups or even one group that meets every single day. We're not going to have those kind of groups that meet every single day, okay? And we're also not going to start doing a worship service like we're doing right now every single day of the week either, okay? We're not, okay? So you can kind of breathe easy. It's okay, all right? So where are you going with this? Listen, all I'm asking you to do is stay devoted. Like they were devoted, stay devoted one larger group worship gathering, one time a week. If we're honest with ourselves, one of the most convenient times of the week. One of the most convenient times of the week on Sunday mornings. So let's stay devoted to this on a consistent basis, one time a week. And then on a different day, you don't even have to do both on the same day. On a different day, one community group gathering, one smaller group gathering, one time a week for both. That's what we're talking about. It's only a fraction of what we did. But listen to me, what we have to understand is this is the easiest way, the easiest way that we can honestly, practically start living out the most biblical, most effective model for church that we see. And then the last thing that we see in this text is the last one. It's actually three things in one. Is they were joyful, they were humble, and they praised God. They were joyful, humble and they praised God. Again, this was on a consistent daily basis. Everything that we've talked about, everything that we see in this text was on a consistent daily basis for these people. And the reason that it was made possible, listen to me, is because it was in the context of smaller house churches, which we're calling community groups, that were all connected into a larger local church body. That's how they were able to do this practically. Guys, listen to me. That's the goal. That that was their goal, but that's also our goal today. That is why we are launching community groups here in just over three weeks. And as we get back to one of the most biblical models for church, back to our roots, what we're going to find is, guys, listen to me. This is where change happens. This is where change happens. This is where change happened for them as people were radically being saved, their lives were being transformed, their families' lives, the community around them, the gospel spread like wildfire. But listen to me. The same thing can happen for us. This is where change happens. When we honestly commit to this, this is where we're going to see change happen in our lives. 
and our families' lives and our church, but then also in the community around us. So as the worship team comes up, I want to encourage us to respond in a, in a few ways. The first way is honestly, I'm going to completely copy the apostles. I'm hijacking exactly what they did. I'm going to encourage you, if you've never responded to the gospel message, to Jesus in my place for salvation, if you've never made that response, then please, I want to encourage you to, to repent and to be baptized. And again, this word repent, it sounds like this, this mean, scary, big word. Like, what is it? Again, it's just it's turning away from our sin and turning to Jesus, saying, look, I, I don't have it all together. It's not about waiting until you have it all together. That completely contradicts the whole point of repentance. Repentance says that we don't have it all together, and we're not going to have it all together. Only Jesus does. That's why we need him. That's the whole point. Saying, Jesus, I am messed up. I heard it, somebody say this one time, and I've never forgotten. I am tore up from the floor up, and I need Jesus. That is repentance. Jesus, please save me. And surrendering your life over to him as Lord, Savior, and ultimately as God of your life. And asking him to save you. And then the other one is to be baptized. So if you've never made those responses before in your life, listen to me. Don't wait. Don't wait. These people didn't wait. There's no reason to wait. The work has already been done. He's already done the work for you. All you have to do is respond. The word tells us he stands at the door and he knocks. He waits patiently for us to respond. So if you've never done that before, the altar is going to be open. I'll be here. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. I just have questions about it. We've also got a prayer team. If, if multiple people come up, the prayer team will come up as well to talk with you, pray with you, answer questions. But the other way that I want to encourage us to respond, this is the last way. And this is every single one of us. If you have a pulse in here today, I'm talking to you. Hopefully everyone has a pulse. If you don't, that's just weird. If you have a pulse, I'm talking to you. Every single one of us, I want to encourage you to respond by plugging into these groups. All right, plugging in, committing to coming on Sundays, one time a week. That's the temple court, just like they did, but just one time a week. And the community group, the house meeting, the smaller church setting, one time a week. And listen, I know a lot of times people have situations where it's like, look, man, you don't know my schedule. I, I, I want to be a part of this every week, but, but honestly, with my job, I can't. So first off, listen, don't, don't use that as an excuse. There's a cop-out. But if that is honestly your situation, honestly, then what I would encourage you is, listen, something is better than nothing. Something is better than nothing. If you, if you can plug into a group two times a month, you know how many times that is a year? That's 24 times. So if you can plug into a group and that's all you can do, that is 24 times better than not doing it at all. So plug in as much as you can. Again, we got a, a little booth over there with sign-up sheets right there at the other door. Regardless of the door, we'll have people there. Ask your questions. I want to encourage you guys to stand. We're going we're gonna to worship God, praise God one more time, sing one more song together. If there's any other um, areas of your life where maybe God is calling you to respond or you're needing prayer, please come up, pray. He loves you so much. Whatever he's putting on your heart, don't wait. Don't wait. Do what they did. Respond today. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. 
And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out uh, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.